Today's episode of the Gold Cast is sponsored by the Gauntlet, the Seattle Seahawks, the bane of our existence as sports fans, as 49er fans. This is the game that we look forward to every year. This is the game that we dread. This is the game we knew was on the docket, and it is here. Week three of the gauntlet. 49ers currently 2-0. and Let's see if we can keep going. This is our preview episode, one of my favorite episodes of the year. Every week, our preview episode. Now, before we get started, though, I'm going to let you know where you can find us. You can find us on youtube.com slash the gold cast. And you can also go to Instagram at the gold cast. Those are our two newest platforms. If you haven't seen our Instagram, it's really starting to pop off. And if you aren't subscribed to our YouTube channel, you are missing out. My friends, the videos are evolving more and more every day. It is very exciting. Go there. You can also find us on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, wherever podcasts are sold for free. We are there. Spotify, we are all there. So definitely add us, subscribe to us, follow us everywhere that the Goldcast is, or everywhere you are, the Goldcast is. We want to be there with you, right next to you. Also, today's episode is a monster. We've got Johnny Dell making his first appearance on the 2020 Goldcast edition for the 49ers. And he's also on the video. You get to see the handsome man's face. Top that off. Louis B jumped onto the show. The final, the final stretch there, mainly to talk about how good the 49ers have been. Louis B in an act of uh, pure humility is coming onto the show to eat his words a little bit because the Niners are kicking some ass. We also talk a little bit about the game against the Seahawks, what's going to happen. Of course, Louis B thinks we're going to lose. We'll talk about that later on. But yeah, big, big episode. I'm very excited. So here we go. The greatest fanalist in the game. He's here. He just wasn't on the intro. I'm the professor of fanalism. Class is in session. Let's go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sousa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa the first, baby. And our esteemed co-host, our guest co-host, Johnny Dell. Yeah, right. Johnny. Welcome. Hey, it's Johnny great to Dell. see your face. To finally see your face, I Johnny. Have, I have one, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a handsome devil too, Ray. I like it. Uh, Johnny, thank you so much, man. We have been, you know, we've been talking about flipping the video with you all the way back to last year. And so we're really, really excited that this has occurred. And we're so excited that you can be one of our guests on the show and one of our first guests. So welcome. Uh, super excited to talk to you. If you're not aware of who Johnny Dell is, then you have been living under a rock because Johnny Dell has Johnny Dell's Football Academy. It is a show that I stumbled upon on YouTube last year. And I was like, this guy is making crazy, like coaches film breakdowns of all the 49er games. Who is this guy? And <laughs> I... 
I got so into his videos. I reached out to Johnny. Johnny's like, hell yeah, I'll come on the show. And it's been we've been friends ever since. And so we're really happy that you're back. And if you are not already subscribed to Johnny Dell's Football Academy, you need to get your butt on that right now. If you want to just see just some of the best breakdowns of 49er plays, I cannot impress upon you. You take the gold cast, you take Johnny Dell's Football Academy, and you're pretty much set right there. That's everything you need. Plus a 49er game on Sunday, have a margarita, and you're set. That is basically it. But uh, Johnny, welcome back to the show, buddy. How you doing? I am doing great. I've uh, been doing much better the last couple of weeks because uh, I'm not depressed on Mondays. So it's been good. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Johnny is here with us today. We are going to be doing our preview episode of all three of us, our most hated rival, I think. I think that's fair to say. And definitely a game that... Pretty much induces a heart attack. I think for everybody. I can even see that. I think for the Seahawks fans too. This is a, this. These games are knockdown, dragout fights. They go to the final second. They go to the final play every single time. And uh, this is this is a must win for both teams. If Seattle loses this weekend, their stranglehold on the NFC West ch- drops significantly. And if the 49ers can pull this off and win two in a row in the crowded. NFC West, it elevates us. And this is literally a must-win game for both teams. But before we do that, Raymond, I want to pass the mic off to you. Let's talk a little bit about Johnny's last video with New England, the 49ers New England game, because I know you wanted to break that down and we want to plug some of that so so the Goldcast can get a taste of what Johnny's all about. Yeah, totally. So Johnny, um, I watched your your last your latest episode against New England, and of course a pleasure to watch episodes uh, after you know the Niners put a thorough thumping against Bill Belichick and the depleted New England Patriots and I was wondering if I could just get your take you know you you explain it so masterfully in your videos you know your your knowledge of the nuances of football especially Kyle Shanahan's type of football is just so impressive so I was wondering if you could give the viewers a little bit of taste of your expertise you know, uh, the, the, the opening segment of your video, you talk about how Kyle Shanahan was really setting up the run or setting establishing the run to really kind of pull guys out of position in New England's defense and expose their weaknesses, um, particularly the linebackers and how that was setting up passing plays and how certain plays in Kyle Shanahan's offense will often look exactly the same and even have the same motion, but then the play will go to a completely different player. Explain to the viewers, you know, what what are some of the things that you notice um, within the Kyle Shanahan offense that that uh, you find so impressive as he kind of dismantles defenses week in and week out, and particularly these past two weeks? So the biggest thing that I see is that he's really good at attacking linebacker but the the intermediate defenders so or we usually call off-ball defenders so if you ha- you have your defensive line you have your off-ball defenders and then your defensive backfield and he attacks those off-ball guys more than any other system I've seen around the league and he's really good at understanding how to get numbers where you are so like for example one thing I, I mentioned was after the 2018 Super Bowl with the Rams and the Patriots that the biggest thing that that came out of that and I saw from 49ers fans on Reddit and uh, different sites was how Bill Belichick completely shut down the Rams offense and the question became 
could he do the same? Could this become a league wide trend versus the 49ers offense? Because Kyle, it's the same offense, right? Uh, that McVay, McVay runs Kyle Shanahan's offense. And what Bill Belichick did was come with a six man front. That's really wide. It contains the edge because the, the bread and butter of our offense is the outside zone is getting to the edge. It's attacking the edge and getting outside and outflanking the other team. Well, that was one thing New England tried to do. And New England, what they're really good at is playing man coverage. I, I had done a scouting video of them, and when I watched the film, I was really impressed with New England. I mean, uh, most of the teams we played this year are man coverage teams, and New England was head and shoulders above every single one we'd played. And that's why I, I was going into the game kind of going, you know, as much as I'd like to see Jimmy G have a really big game, I wasn't so sure about it because, to me, the matchup in the passing game looked like the most imbalanced game that we were going to have all year. And so from there, I thought, okay, how is he going to use the run to force New England into playing zone and then be able to attack him with the pass, which will then set up his run again? And that's what he basically did that first series was that he ran the ball because when I saw teams run on New England, they went to a zone and they went to a wide front. And so he did that. They went to a wide front. Then he exploited that in the past. And then he started messing with this. Because when you have a six-man front, you only have one off-ball defender. So there's one guy behind the defensive line. So if you can get that guy to move out of position, left or right, he's done. And you have a lane. And now your running backs are up in the secondary. And that's why we saw Jeff Wilson bursting for 7, 8, 9, 15, 16 yards. Because he would get through that first line. He Shanahan would, would shift, the and, and he was actually pushing the edges out and then running up in the middle. And then when they would go to a uh, less condensed, more off ball, he would attack the edge. And it was just, it was incredible to see. It was like, he would do one thing, Bill Belichick would counter, and then he would do something else that countered what he, what Bill Belichick did. And then it was just this back and forth the whole game. And Belichick was always one step behind. And that is something you never see. You never see Bill Belichick one step behind somebody on offense. He's always one step ahead. He always takes away what you can do best. And in that game, that's what was most impressive was that he was consistently getting the numbers matchup. Yeah, totally. And I even saw the the play where um, they kind of they line up. They even have two tight ends and Kyle Juszczyk on the front line on the strong side. And then they end up giving a handoff draw to the weak side and totally draw the defense. And it's just like it's so confu- it's it's so subtle when you when you when you watch your videos it seems subtle the 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 what ends up happening in the play but what is happening like these are complicated maneuvers that the defense is having to read or in new england's case fail to read and they're as you said one step behind and not only is bill belichick behind but all his defenders are also literally one step behind on all these plays you know they're expecting hey i've got Kittle, i've got dwelly i've got kyle use on one side oh man and then boom they pull to the other side and then use check or Kittle, one of them will pull off from that strong side and come over and uh, start to block on the weak side too so just like masterful play calling on Kyle Shanahan's part uh, you know it's just I don't know uh, to me I feel like he's kind of been the x factor in these past two games even though we've gotten healthier I feel like a lot of it has come down and and the plays the players have to execute these plays but at the end of the day Kyle Shanahan is the one that is also 
putting the players in positions to be successful and kind of exposing the weaknesses of the defenses, which in New England's case was their linebackers. They didn't have the sideline to sideline speed that, for example, our linebackers have. So getting the the outside zone game going was huge in setting up all of the pass, the play action pass that we ended up uh, pulling off on New England. But it was just so masterful watching him do that the entire game. And, and I felt like your video did a perfect job exhibiting like what exactly Kyle Shanahan was doing from explaining the X's and O's of what Kyle Shanahan is actually doing in order to expose a more sophisticated defense like New England because New England's no slouch I mean sure they've lost a lot of guys this past season even from opting out or they've gone to other teams but they still had Stephon Gilmore and they still had a, a bunch of guys there that are much more capable defense than the one that we're going up against this Sunday but at the same time Kyle Shanahan had them on their heels the entire game. And by the end of the game, I mean, Julian Edelman was throwing his helmet around. Cam Newton was shaking his head on the <laughs> sideline. They just and, and that's just the defensive side, too. We're going to talk a little bit about the Niners defense later on in the show. But but uh, definitely, definitely a super fun video. If you guys haven't watched it, definitely check out Johnny Dale's Football Academy, especially the latest New England Patriots breakdown. It's just it's it's pretty it's. It puts you realize how good Kyle Shanahan is from watching a video uh, such as yours, Johnny. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that was one of the funner videos I've done because there was so much story in the scheme. You know, a lot of times when you look at games, you can you can look at why do we win or lose, and there'll be maybe a blown block here or wrong routes run sort of thing. When you're seeing the chess match between two master chess players and one is just getting it handed to him who never gets it handed to him that that was really impressive and I think the biggest thing is you see when the offense starts to get healthy that you see more of these bubble screens and things with guys like Ayuk and Debo I've seen a lot talked about that we're doing this to limit Jimmy G. I don't know if you guys have heard that, that, yeah. that we're doing this to limit Jimmy G. I have, but I, I don't buy that. To me, it just seems like tip. That's No, that's what Kyle Shanahan wants to do, regardless of Jimmy G's ankle. Like We were doing that all last season. The point is now we have Ayuk, who, who's a Debo 2.0, and he's actually a little bit better at route running than Debo is, and so far, uh, more durable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And what you see is, because when I watched the Arizona game, I was actually probably most disappointed with Kyle Shanahan. And, and I don't mean that in a mean way or, or like, you know, a really disparaging way. What happened was is I saw four plays where Arizona called our defensive play before it happened. They were in the correct defense to trap our offensive plays. They knew what was coming. It was very predictable. And when, when I saw that in Arizona, I went, okay, he the, the play calling is not what it was. This is he's he does he doesn't get get predicted like this. Not like this. I've seen it happen once or twice, but not at the regularity it was happening in the Arizona game. You didn't see that at all with this game. That he his play calling was on point. It was it was timely and he had his weapons. You know I, I can't imagine as a play caller what that did for him losing Ayuk two days before the season opener when he spent all offseason planning on having this guy week one. Same with Debo. You're planning on having him all the way up, and then it's right before the game, and now you're stuck with Pettis. Right. Right, totally. And then we – and we, you know, I feel like there was a little bit more of that precautionary play calling the week before against the Rams, but it was – there was a twofold – 
it was a two-prong approach, meaning part of that was to get the ball out of Jimmy G's hands fast um, in order to kind of keep him, keep everything tight, keep everything accurate, short pass plays, everything's underneath. But then at the same time, that was also designed to mitigate the Rams' pass rush because we were going up against the number one pass rusher in all of football right now. He leads the league in sacks in Aaron Donald, and he ended up coming out with a big fat zero as a, as a result of that. I mean, it was like 17 of the 19 passes that Jimmy G threw were all short yardage plays. And I think that part of it was because, Hey, let's not stress the ankle too much and get him into complicated drops where he's got to really plant his foot and throw deep. And then let's, um, I think the deepest throw was the, the Kendrick Bourne play. I think that was like 25 yarder to Kendrick Bourne later in the game. Um, and then the one before that was the George Kittle, 15 yards. And then Kittle, of course, got the yaks for the touchdown. But outside of that, everything was really short. But that again, that part of it was because he was in second game off the ankle, looked horrible at Miami, uh, looks obviously was a little bit more comfortable. But even in the replays, you could see him kind of stepping off that ankle as he wasn't completely comfortable. So having everything coming out quick. Uh, swift but also to uh, but it was also designed to mitigate the Rams pass rush so again I'm not going to sit there and say conclusively that that's what Kyle Shanahan was doing because when you look at the tape it's obviously part of it is because of the defense he's up against and the other part of it was because of Jimmy's ankle but not because of Jimmy's ineptitude Um, it had more to do with his health and not being able to plant off that back foot which is as you pointed out in your videos is where all uh, and other videos I've seen too the the quarterback needs to get all his power from that back foot when he plants especially if he's going to go throw deep down the field exactly and I think the biggest uh, I guess proof of that would be look look at just from Miami to the Rams the, when it was, it was the first interception Jimmy threw in the Miami game. How awful did that pass look, right? He was trying to hit McKinnon down the left sideline and the ball just came like 12 yards short. I mean, it was it was a bad, it just, there was nothing on the throw. Then look at the throw he makes to Ayuk right before halftime on a deep corner route, like 45, 50 yards down the field. That's, it was, it was on, it was right on point. Ayuk has to stack that corner. He had him beat. He just tried to run past him uh, in the NFL. You got to, you got to be a little more uh, nuanced than that. He, he, he had beat the corner. You got to get step in front of him, stack him is what we call it. So you stack him behind you so that you, you've walled him off. He didn't do that. Uh, Jimmy threw it as if he was, it was, it was an on point throw and it was 45 yards down the field, you know, he wasn't doing that the week before. That's the difference in the ankle. I've seen some fans uh, talking about the Miami game as proof that Jimmy can't throw deep. I'm like, come on. He's he, the guy couldn't. He hit, he hit Brandon Ayuk on a similar play against New England. The only right. problem is, uh, you know, he kind of, uh, the, the ball kind of trailed uh, right and kind of carried Ayuk out of bounds. But had he had he throw, thrown it more accurately, um, just outside the numbers where it was supposed to go, Brandon Ayuk he probably would have had a touchdown on that play. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I have a question for you, Johnny. Uh, what do you think? Because we've been we've been talking about this, in particular with the last two games. You know, we always talk about the play calling of Kyle Shanahan, and that that is without question. But Raymond and I both have been discussing that we feel like this is the first year that Robert Salah really seems to be stepping into the defensive coordinator version of Kyle Shanahan, where now he's out of his superstars. But he's getting so creative on defense, and he's finding ways to keep this team equally as aggressive, but 
adapting to what he has in a way that we, he just I, he definitely wasn't capable of a year ago. And last year he didn't have to because of the superstars. But I feel like this year, I feel like we're finally really seeing Robert Salah step into a new level as defensive coordinator. What do you think about that? I think you're absolutely right. I, I think the first year we saw Salah, it was very much the regurgitation of Pete Carroll's system, generally cover three I mean you lined we lined up every play and there was a single safety and it was either gonna be man or cover three that was 95 percent of the plays we were gonna run that's what it was there was there was very little uh surprise to it and there's reasons you do that the reason Pete Carroll did that for so long was the the idea is he got so much length and speed on the field with a very quick pass rush that a disruptive defensive line that there's only so many ways offenses are going to attack a cover three and you learn those and you figure out how somebody's going to do that and as the game goes on you continue to take those away and you adapt to it eventually they're going to run out of things they can do to you that works when you have a really good pass rush we didn't have that you know for a long time and solid took a lot of heat and you can see he has a dad this is not the same pete carroll we're going to line up and play cover three every game or every play this is this is not and i'm seeing him really utilizing the talent that they have brought in and also you can see the way that guys are coached up these are not you know first day pick guys across the board these are guys that are mostly backups that have stepped in. I mean, we had, what, seven starters down on Sunday and completely just dismantled the New England offense. And these guys are not playing like backups. You know, Marcel Harris looks 10 times better this year in that last game than he did last year versus, like, the Saints. Uh, He played terrible in the Saints game last year. Uh, It was a big reason we gave up 46 points. But... He looked way better. Uh, Tarverius Moore, he was taking much better angles. He was he was understanding his, his role within the scheme. And he's got these guys playing team defense. That means trusting each other. The, we always hear this, right? Team defense. You hear team defense, team defense, everybody. And do your job, right? That's the New England thing. Do your job. What that comes from is that you have one specific job and where defenses get in trouble is when guys start saying, I don't trust the guy next to me to do their job. I'm going to do it for them. And that's when all of a sudden, guess what? They're coming through where you were supposed to be. And we aren't having that. Guys are sticking to their assignments. They're staying where they are because they have trust in each other. And that comes from the top down. So, you know, it's... Yeah, I've been really impressed with Saul. I've been really impressed with the way he's he's been able to, to disrupt other teams, especially when, you know, last year it was, well, yeah, anybody could be a defensive coordinator with this talent. Well, now the talent's gone, and the defense is still doing really well. You know, so it's it's very impressive. Absolutely, I totally agree. I love seeing this evolution, and I think his evolution, given how many players we have on IR, we're the most injured team in the league, uh, with easily no one's talked about this because everybody was making the hugest fuss last year about that three-game gauntlet no one has mentioned the six-game gauntlet we're in the middle of right now we've got we've got seattle and i got the list right here it's seattle's up right now that's followed by the packers let me see here the Yep, the Packers, the Saints and then the Rams and then if you want you can also throw buffalo back in there again so I mean this 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 6 to 7 week stretch is way more daunting 
than last year. No one's really even talking about it this year uh, at all. No one's saying anything. Last year, everyone was completely prepared for us to lay down and die during that stretch. That was supposed to be the gauntlet last year was supposed to be proof that the Niners were not real at all. This year, it's 10 times harder with way less players and we're equally, if not maybe more dominant through the first two games. You know, so it's uh, I think it we needed Robert Salah to really come into his own if we if we wanted to have any chance of getting through this, given the state of the team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is uh, one of the toughest stretches I can remember for a long time that a 49ers team has had. Because you're talking about these are all deep playoff teams from last year. I mean, all of them made noise last year. And so, yeah, this is this is a, a tough stretch. Yeah, and they're all making noise right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, all these teams are, are monstrous right now. Really, really monstrous. Uh, Raymond, do you have any more questions or do you want to get into the preview? Uh, let's, let's go ahead and move on to the preview. All right, let's do it, guys. All right, here we go. We are going to begin previewing this week's upcoming matchup. It's NFL Week 8, 49ers in Seattle. 49ers right now are sitting at 4-3. and three. We're 3-0 three and oh on the road, undefeated. Uh, four and three at home. Seattle is five and one. They're three and zero oh at home. We're undefeated on the road. They're undefeated at home. This is just classic Seattle, San Francisco heart palpitation stuff. Yeah, I think we've won the last nine out of ten games on the road too. If you if you pull the Super Bowl out of the picture, um, we've, we're one of the best road teams in the NFL. Jeez. All right, here we go. It's going to be Sunday, November first, twenty twenty at 125 Pacific Time, Century Leak Leak Field in Seattle. It's going to be on Fox. So right now, uh, Vegas has the Seahawks at minus three, San Francisco plus three. Total is, uh, total over-unders at 54. And let's look at some of the stats. San Francisco currently, as of today, Thursday, October 29th, is averaging 25.9 points per game this season. That's 16 in the NFL. We're surrendering. It's gotten a little better after last week. 19.4 points per game this season. That has currently ranked us at fifth in the NFL. Seattle averaging 33.8 points per game. Number one in the NFL. Should be best. Yep. Yep. We they are surrendering 28.7 points. Per game this season, that is 23rd in the NFL. So you're looking at the 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 fifth ranked defense in points in points surrender per game against the 20 against the number one ranked points per game uh, gaining offense. This is going to be quite uh, quite a battle. And then you've got the 16th ranked uh, uh, averaging offense versus Seattle, who's ranked at 23. Um, gentlemen, as I already mentioned, this is a must-win game for both teams. San Francisco, if they have, if they want to stay in the playoff hunt, we cannot afford to go down two-one in the NFC West. If Seattle wants to stay on top, they can't afford to lose two back-to-back games against the NFC West. This is a must-win game, super tight. Seattle has only lost one. Um, this is a, the, obviously last week to Arizona. Uh, Once again, we find ourselves in the very familiar position of San Francisco and Seattle both need this win and can't afford the other team to to win because it literally 
could mean uh, each team's playoff lives. So that's where we're at uh, as far as our basic stats. Raymond, let's get into the injury report as that's probably been the most affecting factor of this entire season so far. Yeah, so we know that um, Quan Alexander uh, has been was limited in practice today. He did not practice yesterday. Today's Thursday. We know Richie James is probably not going to play. He's dealing with an ankle injury, didn't practice at all this week. Debo Samuel is out. We know he will not play. Chikowski Tart uh, is dealing with a groin injury. He's a a a, a probably not going to play. He didn't participate yesterday or Thursday. Uh, Jason Verrett, not injury-related, but was a full participant today. Didn't practice on Wednesday. By the way, Jason Verrett's been playing excellent. Um, yeah. Talk about a guy. Again, I know we've been talking about this all year long, but I'm just continually impressed by his level of play, considering the litany of injuries he went through the last five years straight. For him to, to look – he's looking like a Pro Bowl cornerback, which he was at one point in time. Um, pretty impressive from him. So he will most likely be there, thank God, because we need him desperately. Jimmy Ward, the quadricep injury, did not participate on Wednesday, was limited in practice today. So if he is a full participant tomorrow, we can probably count on him being back in the lineup. And I know some people are thinking like, but God, the the, the backups we played in safety and free safety um, played pretty good. You know, like why, why disrupt that? But um you know, uh, of our two safeties, I would say Jimmy Ward is, you know, one of the most versatile uh, defensive backs that we have. And, uh, you know, if, if we don't get, you know, someone like Kawan Williams back, then Jimmy Ward is a, a huge asset to have in the lineup uh, for a lot of those reasons. And we know Jeff Wilson Jr. is going to be on IR for the foreseeable future, at least a minimum of three weeks um, on the Seattle side, oh my gosh, they have a whole lot of issues here. And this is good news, too, if you're a Niners fan. Chris Carson, he's on my fantasy team, uh, did not participate <laughs> Wednesday or Thursday. Um, he's probably he's going to be a game-time decision, I hear. Carlos Hyde, according to Coach Pete Carroll, not a big deal with the hamstring, but also didn't participate in practice yesterday or today. So what keep your traitor. eyes out for tomorrow. Travis Homer, the young rookie from last year, uh, dealing with a knee injury, did not participate last uh, yesterday or today in practice. So three of their starting running backs all did not practice this week. Uh, Mike Yupati, the old the old 49er guard, dealing with a back injury. He did not participate at all this week. Uh, Quentin Dunbar, cornerback. He's resting. Veterans rest. He was limited today. He'll probably play this week. Shaquille Griffin. Ha Shaquille Griffin's been ruled out. Um, he did not participate. He's had, dealing with a hamstring and concussion. He will not play this Sunday. Uh, free safety, Ugo Amadi, dealing with a hamstring. Did not participate yesterday or today. Uh, Brenson Mayoa, defensive end, ankle, did not participate yesterday or today. Freddie Swain, wide receiver, hamstring, did not participate, full participant today. He'll probably be in the lineup, um, but who cares when you got people like DK Metcalf and Tyler uh, Lockett. Dwayne Brown, tackle, knee resting, veterans uh, rest. So he'll probably be in the lineup. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jaron Reed, they, they will all be in the lineup. Um, and uh, Jamal Adams still dealing with that groin injury. He will be out on Sunday. So their high-caliber Pro Bowl uh, strong safety that they acquired uh, this year it will not play on Sunday, and so will their best corner, Shaquille Griffith, not play this Sunday. So, again, they're kind of in a similar situation as we were last week against New England, which I thought was going to really help their offense because we lost uh, Jimmy Ward and, 
And, uh, and I thought, oh, man, we're missing both our safeties now going into this game. That's really going to sway some favor into New England's uh, side of the ball, but didn't seem to do anything. So we'll have to see if the backups in Seattle are able to duplicate that. I hope not, though. Um, and that's it. That's it from the practice report. Seahawks have are dealing with quite a few injuries on their own side, uh, a lot of that, that uh, to some of their big big calves. If, if they're not able to get any of their running backs going for Sunday and they're going to have to deal with, I think, the rookie Dallas something, um, you know, I think that's going to make things tough for them because Pete Carroll still likes to run the ball. Even though they're passing a lot with Russell Wilson, they're passing efficiently. Um, he still likes to offset that with the run, albeit not as, you know, not as much uh, finesse as Kyle Shanahan's system, but still, you know, enough to help contribute to the fact that they are the number one offense in the league and they put up the most points. But there you have it, folks. That is the injury report for this week. No word on Tevin Coleman, who was eligible to come back this Wednesday. Um, he did not show up on the practice report list. So we're going to have to double check that. We know Matt Mayoko is always a really good source for those practices. I think Eric Branch is another guy that's pretty good about that kind of stuff. So we'll have to look to see if he ends up in the lineup. I'm really thinking, I'm hoping that this kind of just ends up being a Jarek McKinnon, Jamal Hasty type of combination because I feel like that could be a really formidable duo there. You have the best receiving running back against arguably our second best, you know, burst back outside of Raheem Moster. At least that's what he's looked like when he's gotten his playtime um, these past few games. But uh, But there you have it. There it is. And, you know, if you want more information on the Seattle side of things, you're going to have to go to the Our Professional Sports Team Needs Our Help. That's why we're called the 12th Man Podcast. You got to go over there to hear their information because this is 49ers only. Go to them. It's the 12th Man is not a thing podcast, a.k.a. that's the other name it's called. Just go to there and get all the information (laughs) that you need. Um, all right, so let's talk about this. Uh, Johnny Dell, I want to pass it to you. I think this is a, a, a perfect set pass, pass up to you. What are the key matchups for the 49ers that they need to be focused on in order to win this game on Sunday? Uh, I've been watching their film. Um, I watched a lot of their defense because I hate Seattle, and it was really awesome seeing them getting torched. I mean, I hate Seattle. I hate <laughs> I hate <laughs> Seattle. Um, I mean, like it's. I can't even. I can almost not quantify how deep this hatred is. I feel the same way. I know Ray feels the same way. I lived in Seattle for seven years as a 49ers fan. Oh my fan. god! I oh, man. hate Seattle. Okay, I know the 12th man very, very well, and I hate Seattle. And I hate the 12th man. There is no. I watch Seahawks games to tr- hope for them to lose. Or at least yeah. see somebody get injured. I, it's that bad. I mean, it's <laughs> oh, it's 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 un, it's unholy how much I hate that team. <laughs> With that being said, uh, I watched a lot of their defense getting burned, and uh, I, the reason I said uh, Quentin Dunbar coming back would probably be a good thing for the 49ers. He has been terrible in coverage. Um, one thing he's really really bad at is bailing on his cushion. He will he'll turn his hips at like. 12 yards and in a deep third you turn your hips that that soon um without without taking a bail technique i'm not talking like you know you see the richard sherman come up and then he'll he'll flip open up his hips and bail out and watch the quarterback he's not doing that he's backpedaling and then he turns to run and i saw him get turned around against atlanta 
oh five six times uh, on simple routes. I mean, and I saw it against Atlanta. Uh, where he was giving Ridley and Julio Jones a seven-yard cushion 15 yards down the field. I mean, it was third and 14. He gave Julio Jones a seven-yard cushion at 17 yards. Julio just ran it. Yeah, Julio just ran an out route. I mean, literally, he ran an 18-yard out route, and Dunbar wasn't within three yards of him at any time in the route because he was giving him such a big cushion. You'd think, well, of course, it's Julio. Yeah, he's going to give him a cushion. He did the same thing against New England and not Julian Edelman. Like, literally, they ran a a 12-yard curl route. He gave him a 7-yard cushion the whole way. And he, he did this over and over and over again. They uh, New England ran, I think, four stop routes on him, and every time they got it. And then I saw Trey Flowers against Dallas, and it was the same thing. I mean, their left corner has been terrible, no matter who they've plugged in there. So the matchup for us, because what, what, what they started doing when that spot was so... Uh, victimized was they were shading a safety over there Jamal Adams when he was in they started shading linebackers that direction that really hurt them in the run game and then other areas in the pass game and so if we can maybe put Ayuk over there Kittle over there start hitting them early and start you know it was kind of like what happened to us with Brian Allen uh, in the in the Dolphins, you see what starts happening to a defense if you can hit one weak spot and just hammer it. I mean, you find the weakest link and you go after it. If we can start hitting that, also their ends are really bad. Um, their their ends have been not been good in the pass rush, and they they over they've been over pursuing. And in what I've seen, their linebackers Wagner and Wright over pursuing, which isn't normal for them. Um, that means they don't trust the guys in front of them to keep them clean. They, that means that they, they're trying to attack their holes a little bit faster so that they don't get alignment up on them. So getting our, our run game on the edge and attacking their left corner is going to be big. Their slot corner is also not very good either, and their safeties have been, been haven't been good playing uh, in the intermediate zones. So on on for our offense, I see starting attacking that left corner and then starting to hit some of the over routes and the run game. It, it, this could be a real big game offensively for us. Raymond, what are your thoughts? Who are the key matchups? What are you looking for? Well, um, I mean, they Seattle has no pass rush, and they didn't have a pass rush last year, and last year they had Jadavion Clowney, and he's not in the lineup this year. So you can imagine what kind of step back that group has taken with the absence of, of Clowney, who actually was a thorn in our side in, uh, in both games that we played against uh, Seattle. For some reason, those were Clowney's best and only games where he kind of showed up <laughs> at, at all, all season long. Um, but he's, uh, he's not their problem anymore, and uh, the, his absence is our, is our good fortune. So I think, as Johnny said, um, I'm going to go the other route. I'm going to say that the, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think uh, Johnny, you're spot on with uh, exposing their weak corners, especially now that Shaquille Griffin's not going to be in the lineup. That's huge for them. Jamal Adams is still not going to be able to play, most likely, at least what I'm seeing here. Um, so exposing that in the passing game is great, but we all know that in order for that to happen, Kyle Shanahan's more than likely going to do that, you know, via the run. It's all going to be predicated off the run, uh, that is. And I really think that, you know, they have no sideline to sideline speed, certainly not the same type of speed that we have. We are, we are the fifth best 
uh, run defense in the league. So we've actually improved in this area. This is an area we struggled in last year with our all-star lineup. And this year we're fifth best in the league. Uh, if you can imagine that we're actually number one in fantasy in points allowed to opposing running backs. We le- we allowed the least amount of fantasy points to opposing running backs. For those of you that follow fantasy. Um, so, uh, we have a, a good thing going for us defensively, but I think, uh, the running game is really going to be the kind of the, the setup man for, I mean, it always is for the Kyle Shanahan offense, but I think that the exposure that we're going to get off of these weak corners is really going to get set up by either McKinnon or hasty. I would really like to see a heavy dose of both these guys, especially with, uh, McKinnon, just because he's so good. Uh, catching the ball out of the backfield. He's the best out of all of these receivers. All, all of our backs can catch, but McKinnon is is the best. And he's, he's at least in my opinion, he's exhibited the best receiving hands out of this group. Um, and of course, the, the, the best vision and burst is coming out of Raheem Moser, who unfortunately won't be with us for a few more games. But um, I think that's where it's really going to start with us. Um, uh, the running game is really going to keep us going uh, keep keep this defense honest and just kind of keep, again. I've, I'm hoping that a kind of a similar thing happens of what happened to New England. It's it's Seattle's offense that really worries me more than anything. Um, uh, their defense, I just really don't. I feel like they've got a lot of problems, and they're even though they're they're probably going to play better than they have the past couple of weeks because uh, division games in the NFC West are always like playoff games. So I expect them to be on top of their A game, but. Against a you know an ever and a continually evolving Kyle Shanahan offense, I just feel like he's going to expose the shit out of them, and it's going to be to our benefit in terms of points. So let's get to that. Let's talk about uh, what we what your final predictions are for this game, Johnny. You're our esteemed co-host, our guest. I want to go to you. Who wins this game, and by and what's the final points? What ha- what happens? Well, I mean, I have to take the 49ers to win. Uh, there's no way I'm ever going to say Seattle win anything. <laughs> so uh, I say we win. Um, I think I could see us putting up a 40 burger. I don't know if we'll get there, but I'd say 35, 27 San Francisco. Nice. Raymond, what do you think? As much as I would love to see them surprise me, last last week I thought it would be a close game between New England and San Francisco, and I thought we would still come out with the victory. It turned out to be a blowout. I'm not sure we blow out Seattle. It's I don't remember the last time we blew out Seattle, uh, although they've handed it to us a few times, although that's when they were at their best and we were at our worst, or at least on a decline. So, But um, I'm thinking something along the lines of, Gosh, like 31-24. I, I still think this is this game ends within a one-possession game. Um, that's just how it's always been uh, the last couple years, and so I don't expect that trend to, to change. But I do feel like defensively we've just got some pieces there that they don't have that's really going to be able to limit them, and they're already limited in their running game. And, and Dell, I was curious about you. I feel like, and this has been voiced by a couple other people, I feel like right now we have the best middle linebacker in football in Fred Warner, and I feel like Dre Greenlaw is probably about Dre Greenlaw's playing like Fred Warner did maybe two years before that. Um, so I don't know what's your take on that hot take or accurate. 
Absolutely accurate. Uh, I don't know if there's a middle linebacker playing better than Fred Warner. He he can do anything, any, anything you would ask a linebacker to do. He can run side. I mean, we've seen him getting highlighted on some of the primetime games, just running sideline to sideline. His his ability to weave through what we call the wash uh, is 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 incredible. That's weaving through the traffic that that the disruption of all the guys moving around to chase running backs down. There's very few running backs that can do what he can do. I mean, uh, you're talking about sideline to sideline speed of a Patrick Willis uh, with a little bit, even a little bit better coverage ability. I love Pat. I mean, I'm I'm wearing Pat's jersey. Um, I own the same <laughs> so, jersey, <laughs> so I love Pat. And I don't think he's at Patrick Le- Willis's level all around, but his coverage ability to, is very on point. I mean, I never saw Patrick cover receivers in space like I see Fred Warner do. There's very few linebackers you see, period. His coverage abilities, I would say, are on par with a Luke Keekley, and he's got the sideline to sideline speed of a Patrick Willis. I mean, it, it's really hard to say there's anybody playing better than him in the league. PFF can go screw themselves. I don't care what they say. I, Fred Warner, to me, is the best linebacker in football. I wholeheartedly agree, and he's definitely pre- playing. I thought he was. I thought he had a Pro Bowl season last year, but if anything, he's certainly proving that. I feel like convincingly this time, and Dre Greenlaw is not too far behind him, really. I thought. I think Greg, Dre Greenlaw is actually having a better season than Quan Alexander. Quan Alexander was really strong in the first half of last year before he tore his uh, his pec, but um, this year so far, Quan just looks like. I don't know. Quan's just taking bad angles. He's missing tackles. He's not a hundred percent now, and now he's out of the lineup. He might come back this week, but I just, I just, I really like the Fred Warner Dre Greenlaw combination more than I like the Quan Alexander Fred Warner combination. Although last year I liked that combination more. And remember, Dre Greenlaw is the guy who made big plays in both of these Seattle games, as I pointed out in last week's episode. Dre Greenlaw had the big pick in overtime that I thought was going to seal us the win, and in last year's game, and then he had, of course, the stop too in Week 17 that ended up actually sealing the victory in that game so two times already he's made some big time plays in big time moments and he's had some he's had some solid plays this year too so I feel like he's right there he's and he's feeding off of Fred Warner and I feel like that that tandem is just getting better and better and to me yeah I, I agree with you. I've 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 thought the same thing that Fred Warner is definitely playing on a Patrick Willis-esque level not quite there yet you're talking about a seven-time pro bowler from you know year one until the virtually the end of his career um, but Fred Warner is definitely on pace to uh, get a nod over into the uh, the Hawaii game as as it used to be. <clears throat> definitely, absolutely. So I'm sitting here looking at this, and uh, I am generally the more pessimistic one. I still believe that the 49ers win. I think that despite the injuries, you're looking at a team that overall is much more well rounded. Than Seattle. Seattle is it, it's fun. It's funny how they're the most one-dimensional version of themselves they've ever been. Yet they're still winning. I mean, this is just classic Seattle, right? They, they're the master of pulling games out their asses. Russell Wilson. They I mean they they never say die. They're like Jason Voorhees. They just keep coming back for you. And uh, but but having said that, we might not be the healthier team. Although they've, they've definitely taken their bumps too. We are literally the most injured team in the league. That's not an opinion. That's a fact, right? That's a statistical fact. We are not the healthier team, but we are 
the more well-rounded team. We can play all three phases of the game at a much higher clip than Seattle can. Seattle's offense is pretty much all that's hanging them in, which is so weird considering Pete Carroll and how this team was built. Um, it's also a testament to Pete Carroll, but screw Pete Carroll. That's the closest thing he's ever going to get to a compliment from me. Uh, so <laughs> I don't really care. I think that we are the more well-rounded team. I think we have more weapons in all three phases of the game. I think we win this game. I think it's a lot closer. Uh, yeah, I I agree with you, Johnny. We're capable of putting up a 40-burger, but we haven't seen it yet this season, and I don't know if to this week is the week. I am going to go with the Vegas spread. I'm going to go 35-32, or 31, in favor of the 49ers. I think we win by three points. We, we win... But it's one of those that, you know, as every Seattle game, it takes like two years off all of our lives because that's what Seattle games do. And, uh, <laughs> you know, that's just what it comes down to. But there you have it. We, oh, well, what about uh, players to watch? I, I was going to about to say that. I was about to say oh, okay. that. It's like, there you have it. We all are rooting. We all are saying 49ers win. Um, we all believe they win this game. Uh, but now, I was just about to kick that off, Raymond. Who are your players to watch? Who's your defensive player? Who's your offensive player? I'm liking the the matchup. I'm liking. I'm actually picking both corners on defense this week. I really want to see the Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf versus Emmanuel Mosley and Jason Verrett matchup because those are really the the most potent matchups that we have going on between their offense and our defense. Although Fred Warner is going to be in the mix too, so don't don't obviously don't ignore him. But those that's the one that's most exciting to me. Both corners have been playing solid. Um, I really love Mosley. Jason Verrett's been almost. I feel like he's playing shutdown these last few weeks. Um, he's just really not. They're not. He's not getting looks, and the looks that are getting to him are just he's shutting down everything. And of course, had that beautiful pick in the end zone where he actually got off of his defender um, to catch that ball and keep the concentration to stay in bounds to secure the interception. Just a beautiful play by Jason Verrett. So that's the matchup I'm looking for on defense. On offense, I'm actually going to go. Um, I'm going to be keeping my eyes on Jimmy. I want to see what Jimmy does. This time, because I feel like now he's a little bit more removed from the ankle injury. And we saw them open up the passing game a little bit more against New England. So I want to see what they're able to do this week, um, especially taking advantage of this porous Seattle secondary. And of course, my second player to watch, I'm actually going to go back to, uh, I'm going to go, actually, excuse me, I'm going to go with Jamal Hasty. I want to see what the rookie does this week, see if he gets more touches. I feel like he's poised to get more touches i mean we're jeff wilson jr and richie james are not going to play in this game it's in mckinnon's the only other healthy back we have and tell tevin coleman is still kind of an unknown we kind of have to wait until the injury report for tomorrow's practice gets released to see if he's on it or if he practices at all um, because if he doesn't then he's going to get the the other half of the share of touches between him and mckinnon so i want to see what hasty can do because i feel like he's got the second best burst on this team behind raheem moster he looks more bursty than mckinnon more bursty than jeff wilson jr but then again that's limited uh limited footage i have on him there he's only been in there for a little bit so but that's who i'm watching this week awesome johnny dell let us know who name at least one player on offense, one player on defense that you think they should be keeping their eye on. The, the fans, the, the the 49er faithful, who should they be watching on offense and defense? On offense, I'm going to go with a non-sexy pick, which will actually be uh, the center through right tackle. Um, those areas have been struggling in some pass protection. Seattle has been terrible in their pass rush. 
What I have seen Seattle doing is blitzing more than I've seen them blitz in recent memory. When teams pick them up, they get burned every time. It's bad. I mean, they they're they have gaping holes in their zones because they're playing zone behind it. Um, like I when when New, when they played New England, they were routinely bringing five, and New England was all five of New England's offensive linemen were picking up the blitz. If our linemen do that, we're gonna march down the field. If they if they cannot get home with the blitz, and they have to try and play coverage, dropping four with the banged up secondary they have, we're gonna roll. And and if that that center through right tackle can handle their side, our offense will be fine. I have I, I don't worry about Jimmy in that. I don't worry about our backs. I don't worry about our receivers. Their Seattle's defense is is so porous, and the matchups are are just favoring us. As long as we can handle that blitz, it'll be fine. Um, on defense, I think it's going to be Jason Verrett. Can he shut down whoever's on there so that we can roll a safety to the other side? Uh, if we can shade a safety over, you know, I, and it'll be interesting to see what Pete Carroll thinks of Jason Verrett because I think you're going to see Lockett on who he doesn't respect more, if that makes sense. Um, Lockett is— To me, that's Emmanuel Mosley. I feel like, you know, Emmanuel Mosley will give up like one explosive play a game on average, although he didn't give up anything to to Cam Newton because Cam Newton's shoulder looks like it. It looked like his shoulder had blown out again with the way he was throwing the ball last week. But uh, but um, but yeah, I think that's where the that's where he's going to probably line up lock. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like if you had to pick a weaker link, even though they're both good, I feel like Mosley's the guy you kind of try to test that out on. I agree. I think Mosley would match up pretty well against. Uh, Metcalf, he's taller, he's longer. Um, he'll be able to handle Metcalf's length, but I don't think he can handle Lockett's quickness. Verrett, I think, could match up against either one, and I think he he can take either one. Um, he's got the athleticism to cover cover both of them deep, and so you know you'll be it'll be interesting to see where he puts Lockett. I think that tells you that'll tell you who Pete Carroll thinks is the better corner, um, and from there can we. Can can whoever is, is is that guy? If Verrett can lock his guy down, not be giving up the explosives, not be giving up cheap cheap routes, then that's going to allow us to help the other side. We can maybe stick Mosley on the top of Lockett, roll a safety over, uh, help some linebackers come over and, and play underneath somewhere there to bracket Lockett a little bit more. Um, you know, or, or can he take Lockett on his own? If he can take Lockett on his own and they put him over there. That's going to be good. You, I think we need three stops on defense. If we can get three stops on defense, I think we win this game. That's going to be the key. Um, I think our offense will do enough to where if we can, like I said, just three stops, and that'll be it. Boom. There it is. So for me on offense, I want to see, I'm going to go back to Hasty. I want to see the rookie. Can the rookie step up? Can he step up in a moment like this when everything's on the line? The season is literally hanging in the balance, and it sounds dramatic, but it's not, hyper, it's not hyperbolic when you've got this competitive of a division when literally the fourth-place team might go 9-7, and seven, which is probably going to be better than the entire record for the entire <laughs> NFC East. Okay, so <laughs> can the rookie step up? Can he continue what we saw last week and give us four straight quarters of it against this particular team? The one player that I want to see on defense 
is Fred Warner. And why I say that is because we are, you guys have done a wonderful job in, of, of, of laying down the matchups that are going to happen with Metcalf, Lockett, and our backs. But here's the question. Here's the place the Niners have yet to find an answer for. It's mobile quarterbacks, mm-hmm. even going all the way back to mm-hmm. last year. Can point. Fred yeah. Warner and this front seven contain Russell Wilson? Because even last year, when we thought we had them, it was Russell Wilson that made a play on his feet every time. And I see Johnny Dell wipe his face. He knows exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, every time we had them, we had them. And then Russell Wilson would just do something. And that 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 particular place, that's going to fall on Fred Warner. That's going to fall on Fred Warner and this front seven. Can they contain? That's his assignment. That's Trey Greenlaw's assignment. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're they're going to be in charge. And, of course, the, the defensive line to, uh, to not break contain. Exactly. Can they contain Russell Wilson because if our backs can do what you guys said and if Fred Warner can keep Russell Wilson honest because we all know Wilson's going to get one or two out there that are going to make us pull our hair out that's there's no way around it but if we can get two big stops we can get him on that third and 15 when he's breaking out trying to run and trying to save save his his team's series and it's the fourth quarter and they're only down by two if Fred Warner can he make that tackle can they make that happen? If they can make that happen in that moment, we probably win this game. So that that those are the players that I want to see Hasty and Warner step up. So Goldcast Empire, let us know on the comments. Go to youtube.com slash the goldcast and let us know who are your players to watch, who's gonna win the game, and by how many points. Let us know in the comment section. And uh, gentlemen, I think we are pretty much a wrap for today. I'm gonna we're gonna bounce out to the the second interview that we had going today with Louis B. Louis B. Coming back onto the show. I interviewed him earlier today. You'll notice in the video I have a little scraggle, and now I'm all super clean cut. It was amazing. I I, I looked I looked terrible in the morning, amazing at night. So it's great. It, it, you're gonna see <laughs> you're gonna see a, a, I'm gonna I'm gonna become scraggly. In the next part of this video, I'm actually going to go backwards in in real time. So you'll see that interview. Louis B was asking to come on because he was actually, as much as he hated it, he hated to admit it. He was so impressed by us beating his Rams and then the Patriots. It's like I got to come on the show. I actually have to give you guys your props. It, it's making me angry. Uh, so that that interview is coming on right after this. Johnny Dell. Thank you so much for coming on, man. It's been great. It's great to finally have you back on the show. It's great to see your face. It's great for everyone else to see your face. Uh, I We cannot say enough good things about Johnny. He's a huge friend of the show, and we are huge fan, fans of Johnny Dell's Football Academy. It's right there. If you look at his handle right there, uh, go to that site. It's on YouTube. It is, I'm telling you, this, if you're in, if you're just into football X's and O's and you want to know what's going on, Johnny Dell breaks it down in the in the best that I've seen in the game, and uh, we're so excited. Thank you for coming on to the show, buddy. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to be on the show with you guys. I listen to your podcast every week. Uh, I don't follow the baseball stuff as much, but hey, it's so fun to hear your <laughs> your uh, nice baritone timbres and and musing. So thank you for bringing me on. Hey, I'll say one thing about baseball, which I did want to say, guys. Uh, I was sitting there trying to quantify what the Los Angeles Dodgers are this year uh, after playing only 60 games, and I figured it out. They're the interim champions. They're the interim champions. That's a good one. The, I was going to call them the steward 
Kind of like how in uh, in Lord of the Rings, the the king, who the king of Gundor is like the, he's not the king of Gundor, but he's just kind of like uh, like an interim king. It's another <laughs> fancy word for interim. But I thought I was like, oh, they're the steward, the stewards of the uh, the World Series championship this year. They are. They are the you know the the world champs are the nationals. Now the nationals were not able to defend their title, uh, but we didn't have a full season, so they're the interim champs. Now the Dodgers fans got very offended when I said this. All of them got extremely <laughs> offended that a Giants fan was calling them the interim champs. And I said, "Listen, you're still the champs. You know, I, you know, it's better than nothing. You know." But literally, I had a Dodgers fan tell me they said, "They said we were the best team in baseball all year." Twitter said, "You won 43 fucking games. Give me calm down." <laughs> 43 games. R- relax. Okay. They had to take 102 games away for you to win a World Series, okay? So just take your take your little belt and go home, and if you can defend it next year, I will I will I will I will eat eat it and I will call you the World Champs. But Johnny Dell, how you feel about the Seahawks? I feel equally, and I will say the Los Angeles Dodgers is like maybe right next to it. I can't even say it's one meter down. I think it's exactly the same. So I will give them I will give them interim champs. You are the interim champs this year. And if you can defend it next year on a full season, which you've, they've never been able to do in over 30 years, then I'll give you world champs. I'll give you world champs at that point. You could almost say they're the asterisk champs. You know, it's going to have that a- asterisk next to it for the rest of the, forever. You know, it's always going to have that asterisk right there. You know, always, always. Kind of like the Barry thing- Bonds is the world, as the home run guy right no yeah uh the great thing is when i can look when i look at our giants dynasty i know that we played three full seasons and earned all three of those world series the, the right way um so there we go interim champs all right guys we're gonna bounce out uh raymond we will see you next week uh johnny dell we're gonna what we'd like to do is uh, after week eight, we'd love to have you back on the show so we can just all three of us sit down and look at the first eight weeks of this season and just decide together what, where we think the Niners are at and if we think uh, if we think we're capable of making a run uh, deep into the post after this after the next eight weeks. So we're gonna we want to do like a mid season report and we'd love to have you back on. I'd love to be here. Just let me know. I won't forget next time. all right guys here we go thank you very much and now it's an interview with me and louis b all right goldcast empire as promised here he is looking half the age he's ever looked before it's our boy louis b he wanted to come onto the show He's here on the show. This is a this is a rare moment, so we better soak this in while we have. But first, Louis, of course, we have to talk about uh, what happened. <laughs> you're 12. You're you're reversing an age yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. I don't the, understand the what's Rams going on. The Rams beat the Bears and they're five and two now. So I it was like the fountain of youth. It just like I like I dove in head first after beating the Bears, and now I've been back to 12 years old now. Yeah, I can't <laughs> drink anymore. I got. Uh, I yeah I booked a I booked a gig out here in LA uh, that I can't talk too much about but um yeah I booked a gig and uh, they wanted me clean shaven and I told Rudy this pre uh, pre recording but I'm like I don't know why anyone does this is I don't know why anyone wants to see this <laughs> it's not a not a good look for at least in my opinion. uh louis b if you're if you're listening to the audio of this you better go to youtube.com slash the goldcast you have to see clean shaven louis 
B, it uh, is a sight to behold. He literally looks like he's 12. You look, <laughs> you look like 10 years it's younger. Insane, it's, dude. it's insane. Golly. Yeah. And with the glasses, too. I mean, it's like you're, I, I, yeah, it's like I want to give you some milk and cookies right now. That's it. And just, and we'll just hang out and talk about the good old days. <laughs> you want to give me like a little like pat on the back? Like, hey, you're doing okay, buddy. Like, you're doing okay, little guy. You're doing okay, buddy. You're doing all right. You're doing all right. So let's talk about this, Louie. You wanted to come on the show specifically after the 49ers completely, I believe the word is demolished. Hold on, hold on. I'm checking my notes here. Destroyed, uh, obliterated, um, utterly ripped the soul out of the Patriots. I believe that's actually the, that was the term I was looking for. That, <laughs> that sounds about right. I think that last right one was about what you want and in, uh, in what you were saying. Yes. Um, wow. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm floored. I mean, that was a crazy, you and I talked on the phone right after that game. And again, I just, I've always believed in Shanahan. I love Shanahan as a coach. I think he's great. I just, that was, it was insane. And I know New England isn't the same team this year. I understand that. I'm ecstatic about it. I think it's great that for the first time ever, for the first time in like 20 years, this this fan base understands what it's like to lose games, to be not a good team. It's fantastic. Uh, but uh, I was just blown away, man. You guys absolutely murked them. And I thought there would be at least a game at one point. And, at no point was it even competitive. Yeah, to be honest, it was it was pretty shocking to me, but I've thought about it. There's a couple of things that I think contributed to this, and we talked a little bit about this, and I want to hear what your thoughts are on this. Number one, uh, I think that it took Shanahan and Robert Salah a couple weeks after we had so many injuries so quickly to figure out who he could trust again. Who could he trust? Who could he, what depth could we utilize, you know, within our team that we could actually depend on? And I think it took them, it took them a couple weeks and you really saw it in uh, the Eagles game and in the Miami game, them kind of, you know, reeling a little bit. And also, uh, we're just not the same team when Jimmy G G doesn't play. You know, love him or hate him. You know, it. You know, it's like it's the same thing even with the Rams, right? Like, like, Goff is your boy, Jimmy G is my boy. People have various opinions about those quarterbacks, but... When when they're in and they're firing off, we win. And like when Jimmy G's in and he's playing well, we win. And that that's that's just the thing. And so I think it took them a little bit. I also think that this season, you're finally seeing the evolution of Robert Salah as a defensive coordinator. Like he's finally, after three years, figured out how to put how to win without superstars. And like he's kind of feel like he's kind of starting to become like a baby Shanahan on the defensive side. And I think it's taken him a couple seasons. I mean, he was definitely not there three years ago. And I think right now, with the way he's scheming defensively, I just feel like he's gotten so much more creative. And it's the same thing. How can I utilize what I have and and, and get the most out of a team that has is missing a lot? Yeah, I mean season. and I completely agree. I, I, I buy into that fully. I think you guys is your guys' tandem of Shanahan and, and Salah is insane. I think that the fact that you guys have those two guys is like, it's, it's amazing. It's going to build, it's going to build a really foundation for years to come because they both are basically, they're the almost the same coaches, just on opposite sides where you have this, like, yeah, this, this inventive creative play calling with players. I mean, dude, when Bosa and Thomas went down the same game and what was that week two, I think. And I was like, this defense is done. Sherman went down, I think, in week one or two. I was like, dude, there's no – this defense is, is toast. There's no way 
there's no way they're going to make a season out of this. And then with, when the Philly game happened, I saw what they did. I was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're done. Like, and I was stoked. Sorry, Goldcast. I was, I was pretty pumped up. <laughs> but, no, I mean, hats off again, man. They've really just done uh, an incredible job, man. And we'll see. Obviously, the season goes. You know, we're going to face different competition. And, obviously, once you play more NFC West, I mean, we talked about our strength of schedule the rest of the season. It's it's brutal, man. I mean, if you have more than three, four games against the NFC West right now the rest of the season, you're, it's tough road, man. So It really is. Uh, I think this week is going to be the real tale of the tape. We're going to really find out what the 49ers are made of this week against Seattle. I am I'm stoked, but like as with every Seattle game, like I'm also ready to have a heart attack because this is these games are heart attack inducing. I mean, they're the most insane games. So, I don't really Let me ask you, what do you expect? You just saw what happened between Arizona and Seattle. The, Seattle doesn't have a defense. They can't stop anybody. Uh, our offense, regardless, is seems to roll no matter what. What do you think happens this week between us? I and think Seattle? it's going to be. Uh, I I wouldn't be surprised to see the score lower than what the line is at now. I can't remember where it's at. I'm pretty sure it's like low fifties, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that drop a little bit uh, at the end of the game, just because. Um, I think San Francisco has the ability to control the clock no matter what running back they have in the backfield as they've proven. I mean, literally, it's a revolving door. I don't know how Shanahan does it, but, like, you, dude, you could, they literally just grab a guy. He's like, yeah, uh, yeah, just hop in there, dude. And then they just they, – they run for three touchdowns. It's, like, unreal. Uh, so, I think that uh, San Francisco is going to be able to control the clock a little more uh, than Seattle's used to playing, I think. Uh, like, I think you see similar to remember that, like the Seattle Vikings game a couple of weeks ago, uh, where the like Vikings kind of were able to just yes. like run the ball, control the clock. And the Seattle Seahawks had no, def- they have no defense. And if Russell Wilson isn't able to light up the scoreboard every time he's on the field, they, they get down quick. So, which I think San Francisco is going to do, even without Debo, I think you guys are going to be able to put a, be able, the run game's going to work fine. I think you guys are going to be able to put points. Yeah, I'm. Re- I think the last time I checked, I believed it was Seattle by like three and a half. I think is what the is what they were putting it at. I I honestly don't know. Like I really don't. I think I think if we played this game ten times, San Francisco is going to win five. Seattle's going to win five. You know. So I really, if you're asking me today, I I legit have no idea what's going to happen. I of course I believe the 49ers are going to win all day, but I uh but I also think this game is going to be super tight and i think vegas you know at three and a half that sounds about right uh i think that whoever wins is probably going to cover that you know and i, I don't yeah. think it's going to be yeah no i think that. yeah i think you're looking at i mean it may be ooh, i mean maybe like a 24 to 20 like a four point i might give it the four point but yeah honestly i i could see this being a one point game this could be 24 23 man you're like coming down to that last like the, like it always does with the seahawks Niners, where it comes down to like the final drive it's going to be like fourth and goal if, like, Russ Wilson can throw a touchdown or run it in and you guys get the – it's like, I'm pumped for this game, man. As a West, as an NFC West rival, I'm stoked right now with this game. It is pretty crazy, man. I'm super excited. This is like – and, again, I love it. Like, it just works out that Seattle and San Francisco both have to win this game. Both teams. In order to survive – in order for the Niners to have any semblance – any chance of coming back into the NFC West in time for the playoffs, we have to win this game right now. In order for Seattle 
to stay up top, it can't go down two in a row to two NFC West rivals. Like, it can't afford it. Like, no one can afford to lose the NFC West to an NFC West rival. So this is pretty This is pretty wild, man. Uh, I'm excited. Let's jump over to your Rams because, first of all, no one knows this, but you and I called AZ beating Seattle. We knew that was going to happen this week. We we called it. You and I talked about it offline. Uh we I, we were also you were not confident. I thought for sure the Bears had you, and then you guys thumped the Bears so hard, so hard. Like it looked like you guys you look like you guys bounced back there, Louis. I got to give it up. It looked like you bounced back there. Let's talk about it because I was getting all ready. I was literally polishing off third place in the NFC West. I was polishing off that spot on the mantle. I was dusting fourth place to put you there and to switch places. I was getting your little Rams already, and then you little bastards stay afloat, and you're still sitting above us. How did you oh, feel? Oh, man, I was like, I was so lit up, man. I was so stoked because I was the same way as you. I mean, I, I mean, I told you I didn't have a lot of confidence going into that game. It was because what Chicago did to us two years ago, obviously they were a different team. But, I mean, we were in Chicago, and I just remember them just destroying us, like eating us completely alive. And I that memory sticks with me. Even though we beat them last year at home, still there was just this, like, vibe. They were 5-1. and one. They had this weird Nick Foles magic around them. Their defense was starting to look better. So it was like – got a little nervous. It definitely made me nervous. But, um, again, man, we're showing that we are – one of the best rushing teams in the NFL when we can, when we can do it, like when we can stick to it. And for the most part, McVay has stuck to it, which thank God he has. Cause I think it's helped us obviously against the Niners. I feel like he just really can try to deviate and try to do too much, which he tends to do. Um, but no, this was a huge win, man. Like, I mean, like you said, pretty much everyone, every week in the NFC West right now, unless you're playing the NFC East or the AFC East, you it's a must win, bro. Cause as soon as you fall one week, you're now in fourth place. Like you said, you're in fourth. You could be in fourth. You could be in second or third place one week. You could be fourth place the next week in one loss. Like, so it was a big win, especially in the NFC um, and against a team that we could run into playoff seeding in the end of the year. Like, who gets the higher seed? Who gets that could be a huge thing between if Chicago. I don't think Chicago is going to be amongst one of the top teams, but. Who knows? But they showed up, man. Then the the Rams showed up, man. They our D looks great. Our running game looks great. Um, I'm stoked, man. I'm I'm fired up with where we're at this year so far. Well, you know, we've got we're in the middle of the 49ers are in the middle of the gauntlet. We started playing with you guys, and then we're ending with you guys. So we're we're not that far off from finishing this year's uh, this year's series of games between us, at least in the regular season. You and I have. Uh, we are secretly or not so secretly, depending on your opinion, uh, suspecting that we may see all four NFC West teams go to the playoffs because with the current setup, that's actually in play. For yeah, the first yeah time ever. and I mean, literally, again, like seeing how bad the NFC East is, seeing how bad some of the NFC North teams and the NFC South teams like Atlanta and, and Carolina, I think is a deep deep sleeper not for playoffs but for, like to have a good record but like we all could fit the, the every team in the NCUS could be nine and seven or you know like not everyone but the worst team in the NCUS could be nine and seven maybe I mean I don't know how it would even be ten and six but they could have nine wins and that could be the seventh seed and it's like <laughs> we're gonna see literally just the division leaders and then the NFC West in the playoffs like that's it and it'd be insane dude and it's possible it's possible it would right? be insane you know? 
It, it's in play. I, I kind of, we've talked about this before, but I don't think we, I don't think I've said it on the podcast yet. So I want to say it here. Uh, my dream scenario is that we all go and we eliminate everybody in the first round. And the divisional round is just the NFC West. Just like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's just see who's who. What's what? Let's let's just get this done. We're going to have all four NFC West teams from the divisional round to the Super Bowl. Let's see who really is dude, about it this year. How incredible would that be? That would yeah, like you said dream scenario, dude. Cuz literally it would be, yeah, it would straight up just be dude like who who's the best, bro? Who's the who runs the division, dude? Let's let's match them up in the playoffs. Dude, dude, this two, is it. Man. You know, one on four up, yep. you know, one on one. No no more talking. We'll we we'll be able to hold on to this year forever. We're like for the rest of time, we'll be like there was that one year, and one of us smoked the other ones and made it all the way to the Super Bowl, probably to lose in heartbreaking fashion in the Super Bowl because that's what <laughs> NFC West teams do. Uh, yes. I hate that part about us, but uh, but uh, that would be that's my dream scenario. That's Louis B and I's dream scenario. So I'm hoping it happens this year. I praying. really am. I'm praying that would be so sick, man. That'd be so fun. The narratives that would come up and just the the the, the I mean. It's the best division in the NFL so to watch the entire division play to go to the Super Bowl I mean it'd be oh my god it'd be unreal man I think it just comes down to Arizona if Arizona can stay strong and they can keep going because I do think you guys are going to be a winning team uh I think Seattle is I think we are if Arizona can stay strong and keep up I mean they're Arizona's 2-0 in division they're the only undefeated team well you guys are no because you guys lost yeah they're the only undefeated team in division right now like so they no, are, but no, I don't expect to that no, no, to no, stay. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, come on. Does any do any of us really do? No, no. I mean, it was a great win. We knew they were going to win. Arizona, but, Arizona no, in the no. NFC West is like my face clean shaven. It's just this. this, this. <laughs> <laughs> it's clean shaven, Louis. Is that what Arizona you're saying? Cardinals. It's clean shaven, Louis. Yes. It's clean shaven. That think, you really outdid yourself with that one, buddy. The Arizona Cardinals from here on out. We need a Photoshop. <laughs> Please, we need to get that Photoshop. <laughs> Just their logo is my favorite. Yeah, I love. You know what you need to do? Uh, you have yeah. a headshot yeah, of your yeah, clean yeah. shaven self, right? Send that to me because I'm gonna I'm gonna have that be the main photo for the, this section right here. I'm gonna. I'm gonna post it. We're gonna post the the main photo of you, Louis. This this oh, is the Arizona God, Cardinals, dude. Right yes, no, I'm, <laughs> in. I'm so in. I love it. Uh, okay, let me. Who do you guys so play we this go week? To Miami. Uh, it's a morning game, but McVeigh has been, I think, the one of one of, if not the only losses he's had on the East Coast in the morning slot was this year against Buffalo and that crazy like last minute, last second uh, loss to Buffalo. So we're pretty easy. He's great on the road on the East Coast. And um, and we play – it's Tua's first game as a starter, and he gets to go against Aaron Donald. So, so don't get me wrong. I think Tua's a great quarterback. But for his first game, he's – I mean, he's going to get rocked. Aaron Donald's playing on another level that I didn't know I – didn't, I didn't know he had. And he's just – he's it's insane this year. I I think I think that one's a wrap. I I remember that too. Two is playing. I think that one's a wrap. Give us your prediction. Who wins? The great part is no crowd. We're kind of on a neutral field no matter where we play, whether they're playing in San Francisco or Seattle. Who do you think wins this week against the 49ers and the Seahawks? Man, it's tough, dude. There are I mean, not that it matters. Are they in Seattle or are they in San Francisco? 
Yeah, I, I would say, again, Seattle. like you said, not that it really matters anymore. Um, I honestly, I think Seattle will bounce back just because they're coming off the loss. I think that's the only edge that I give them on giving them the win. Um, and obviously, Russ Wilson, like you said, you can never, there's just never a point where you can count them out ever at any point. It's so annoying and I hate it. Uh, see, I think, I think Seattle will edge it out, but I think it's going to be a, like I said, a one or two point. I'd take the, I'd take the, under on the if it's three and a half i'd take i'd take under that for sure man that's yeah i i i i'm not sure what ray's gonna say we're recording this before raymond and i do our preview episode tonight we're recording this during the day on thursday so i'm not sure what he's gonna say but i uh i have a feeling raymond might echo the same sentiment that he we're gonna that we're gonna lose i think we're gonna win only because uh because we have a defense and they don't like that that is the that is the underlying factor but having said that last year they didn't have that great of a defense and every week that they played us they look like the legion of boom so i don't understand what the deal is there it's so frustrating division's always tough right uh, i think we win because we have a defense but i agree with you i take the under on the points um yeah so we're going to see man we're going to see louis b says seattle wins uh less than 3 points i say 49ers more than 3 points we're going to find out and, uh, buddy, we'll have to have you back on, especially when we got the Rams coming up here at the end of the at the end of the gauntlet here. Rams Niners two last game, hopefully for the regular season, but not the last game of the Truth. year. Yeah, no doubt, man. Hopefully. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, you know, I'm always I'm always wanting to come back on here, man. I love it on there. You guys are great. Hell yeah, man. Well, congratulations on the gig. As soon as it uh, as soon as we can talk about it, let me know. So we can we can definitely pump it up on uh, on Goldcast Empire and Goldcast and make sure that everyone supports uh, your latest it, gig, my friend. All right, all right, buddy. Thank you for coming on to the show, man. It's always a pleasure to have you. And then we will definitely have you back on as we get closer to the rematch between uh, us and the Rams. And so concludes another edition of the Goldcast. We are the Voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Sis Third, and with me is my esteemed co-host. All right, boom. We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time, same gold cast channel. This is, this is the gold cast.